Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is David Hollander. He is an assistant dean and clinical professor with the Tisch Institute for Global Sport at New York University and has received NYU's highest faculty honor, the Distinguished Teaching Award. He sits on the advisory board for the Earl Monroe New Renaissance Basketball School, ESPN, and NYU Entrepreneurial Institute. He also holds his high school's record for most technical fouls in a season and career. His new book is How Basketball Can Save the World, which is published by our friends at Harmony. David, welcome to the program. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here, David. And before we dive into your book, I want to ask you, what does an advisor to ESPN do? Uh, How do you advise them and what do you advise that they do? (laughs) You know, that's actually a misprint. It huh? should have read advisor to ESPNW. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, so that's the women's vertical mm-hmm. uh, for ESPN. Um, and I've been a charter member, an original advisory board member since they created that board. Jeez, mm-hmm. um, how long ago has it been? Um, I mean, it could be 10 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, Well, very good. Thank you so much, David. Uh, Let's now dive into this excellent book, How Basketball Can Save the World. Um, First, David, why look to something like the game of basketball to accomplish this task of saving the world? How did the idea for this book come about? Well, I was heavily motivated by the breakdown of the world um, around 2015, 2016, when we seem to be, uh, uh, you know, just mired in irreconcilable divisions, failing institutions, no trust. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, thought to myself, um, you know, there's this place that I go where I find the opposite. I find great peace and balance and and uh, right relations with others and uh, a real sanctuary space where all that noise in the world goes away and seems to be a great model for how to be and move and get along. Mm. And I knew that so many others felt the same way about the game and what it meant to them, that sanctuary space it was. And I thought, well... I'm a professor, Mm -hmm. a college professor. Couldn't I take that feeling and give it language? Could I take this thesis uh, of how basketball could possibly be an answer, um, research it, built a syllabus, and, well, that's how it became a course that I teach at NYU. Nice. I would like to take that course, David. Um, Do you still play? (laughs) it's the best question um of course how dare you jason how dare you sir yeah yeah do you play um i I, i'm you know i used to manage a bookstore in raleigh north carolina and i had a um 
a weekly game with a bunch of librarians and faculty members at North Carolina State <laughs> University. And, uh, I miss that. You can't play outdoors as much here in Aspen, Colorado, but I did find a, a really yeah. good center. Um, with well, I, yeah. I wish I had uh, a regular game with librarians. Uh, that <laughs> sounds like something very special. Um, I will get out there and mix it up with NYU students. Um, and like, like I'll get a rebound and I'll think about that rebound for like a month. It'll feel so good. Yeah, right. Nice. Um, very good, David. Well, thank you. Um, you say that uh, you don't see basketball as a part of your identity, but as an existential matter, as if without it, you're not really here. Um, can you elaborate on this concept for our listeners? Well, I, I love that question. I love that you picked up on that line. Um I am always trying to get to a, the highest elevation point of my consciousness. Mm. Um, it's so easy to get bogged down in the the mundane, the prosaic, the the minutia of your you know of your your demands. Um, and when I play, when I play basketball whether it's by myself or with others, I get to a, a space of some real clarity. You know, people talk about mindfulness and they talk about uh, meditation. It's so important. You know, it's harder and harder to find these spaces in life. Yeah. So when I say without basketball, I'm not really here. I mean that that is a high spiritual zone for me that is a, a a place where i hear my truth where i can actually hear myself it's funny i i speak publicly for a living when i play basketball i get quiet hmm. um and that's what i'm you know it's it's i think it's the purest part of me and it's it's what reminds me of um of the aspirational state that i'd like to get to as much as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for that answer, David. Um, you mentioned several problems in the introduction to this book. Uh, economic disparity, climate destruction, distrust of the media, the vanishing of privacy, to name a few. Um, just to pick one thing out amongst this list of issues, how can basketball save us from climate destruction? There are so many things that affect all of us. I mean, the whole world, climate, uh, water, um, hunger, disease. We just went through a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, how do we solve those things? Well, it's not with one defined nation state saying, well, we do this. That won't get it done. Mm -hmm. um, for the 21st century, there needs to be a global approach. We need to see ourselves as not so different from <laughs> folks who live or by some accident of birth somewhere else. Basketball stands for the proposition of making things global because it was global from the start. Many people don't realize that James Naismith, the inventor of basketball, as soon as he created it, sent folks to teach the game on, on, in, in Australia, Brazil, uh, Paris, 
and Tianjin in China. The game, you know, people say the 1992 Dream Team, uh, that was what made the, the game so globally popular. No, this game was, was, was global from the start. And that's why, um, you know, over the past 130 years, since the game was created, you know, nations have formed and deformed. Trends have come and gone. Um, businesses have have have, have uh, established and dissolved. Um, ideologies have been proven and disproven. People have lived and died. And this thing, basketball, has only increased in ubiquity and influence. And that is because, and, and it is global. It is a global common denominator. My friend Dan Cloris says you can go around the world, you can talk about only a few things that we all can talk about. Music, food, love, sex, and basketball. <laughs> I don't think he's wrong. Um, so uh, that that's just, you took, you know, you chose climate and that that's a, a good example of, we're, 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 we're not going to solve an issue like climate one country at a time. We're mm -hmm. going to solve it as a world together. Absolutely. Thank you so much, David. Um, Listeners, we are going to pause here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with David Hollander. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with David Hollander, author of How Basketball Can Save the World, which is published by our friends at Harmony. Uh, David, before the break, we talked about Kobe. I now want to ask you about Nikola Jokic, uh, as we are a podcast based in the state of Colorado. Um, even though it is a team game, as you mentioned earlier, are there any lessons that you think that we can specifically take from the game of Nikola Jokic? Um, I'm glad we're talking about the game of Nikola Jokic because uh, more about the game of Kobe Bryant would have been interesting to analyze. The game of Nikola Jokic um, is remarkable um, and emblematic of the whole game of basketball. People seem to be mystified by um, what doesn't look, and I put quotes around look, like a basketball player, um, uh, yet he's remarkably, I mean, supremely effective. And what Jokic stands for is basketball's principle of the balance of force and skill. Um, it's not just enough in basketball to be, to have the kind of those classic athletic virtues of speed and power and agility. Um, 
the game, distinguished from other games when it was invented, elevated the goal, which forced you to not just have great speed and power, but to be under control, which allowed for all different kinds of athletic types. Hence, Jokic, which stands for an enlightened human resource management principle. We need to recognize different kinds of leadership archetypes, not just the, the loud, uh, the, the, the handsome, the charismatic, but there's nuance uh, to the spectrum of human contributive abilities. And Jokic um, seems to live uh, on the edges uh, in such uh, uh, <laughs> a masterful way uh, of what can be done um, in a basketball game. He's amazing. Yeah, he sure is. And do you think with a small handful of games left in the uh, 2023 NBA season that Jokic should win a third consecutive MVP? I couldn't care less about mm -hmm. GOAT conversations, MVP conversations. Um, you know, it. Bill Russell was once asked, and I mentioned this in the book, about uh, um, how during – Shaquille O'Neal's dominant run. He was asked at that time, how would you stop Shaquille O'Neal? Mm. Um, because he had stopped Chamberlain, the mm. Goliath of his time. And Russell's answer, he, he he hesitated. It like took him like five seconds. I remember just hanging on the edge of this radio broadcast. I'm like, what's he going to say? And he said, I wouldn't stop him. And the guy who interviewed was like, what? How, Bill Russell, you wouldn't say? He says, no. He said, my team would. Mm -hmm. This is the game of basketball, not goats. Um, it, it, these, these conversations are, um, uh, outside my interest and, uh, and expertise. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad you brought up Bill Russell. Um, what is the difference in your mind between Bill Russell's approach to the game and Wilt Chamberlain's? Uh, I think Russell had, uh, an expansive, um, almost spiritual, certainly intellectual and physical understanding of every facet of what it took to execute on a basketball court. Mm -hmm. um, and that meant uh, 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 harmonious execution with his four other team members. And, and this kind of, you know, Chamberlain, I don't think, though, he was a very special player, I, I think, underappreciated for uh, the, the you know, he, you may look back at body types from the 60s and 70s and say, well, who could really play today in this kind of like, you know, incredibly phys physical environment in the NBA? I think Chamberlain would fit, his body would fit. Mm -hmm. um, but he didn't have the same ethos, the same kind of, you know, basketball nirvana aspiration as Russell did. And I, I think that that was the difference um, between the two. Yeah, um, I agree. And um, 
when you are writing about Bill Russell, and I compare Bill Russell's approach to the game in a way to Nikola Jokic's, minus the uh, 11 championships or whatever, of course, <laughs> um, for now. Um, but shortly after you wrote about Bill Russell, you write about John ja Morant. Um, and um, in a moment when he uh, received an award for, I believe, most improved player and then um, deflected that award onto his teammate. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you still feel uh, the same way about Ja Morant, um, considering the recent troubles that he's had? Well, I feel the same way about um, uh what people do off the court is not of interest to me. I was using the, I, I feel the same way about the example of John ja Morant mm. winning uh, an award and saying it doesn't belong to be it belongs to my teammate as much as me or with me. Mm. Um, I believe in that 100%. Um, you know, I haven't walked in John ja Morant's shoes, uh, you know, but I hope he, he's able to, uh, find his way to a balance and happiness because he, he's a very special basketball player. Yeah. Um, again, he's, you know, uh, he's playing professional basketball. I saw John Morant um, when he was in college. I wonder if you did. Um, playing for Murray State in the Ohio Valley Conference tournament mm -hmm. against Belmont. I don't know why I even tuned into that, but I'll watch almost any college basketball game anytime. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, his understanding of the ebb and flow of bodies on the court and where people were and where people weren't and where he had to be and what he had to do and his timing, his abilities with the abilities of others it was savant like yeah uh i think john moran is an absolutely amazing player and for the first few years of his career i personally have drawn parallels to michael jordan's uh career and what i believe his capabilities are one thing that is striking as i'm watching the ncaa tournament this year is how many players are um kind of uh, using John ja Morant's both game and personal style as inspiration. And so though I understand your resistance to approach and discuss off the court issues, I think that these things have a, a huge influence on the game and how it's played. For example, John ja Morant's influence over these college kids, but also his own team. I mean, he's been out for how many games now? He may not even be, you know, um, who, who knows how it's going to affect the rest of the season, even though the Grizzlies seem to be all right without him. Um yeah, but it's just um, I, I, you know, I without getting into the intricacies of the issue, and I don't, I wasn't there, I don't know about it. Another thing that took place here in Colorado, though, um, I just don't, um, you know, I, I hope he recovers. I think he's going to be okay, and I hope he is. Um, I told you before the break that we would talk a little bit more about James Naismith. Uh, you write that James Naismith forsook the ministry for a higher calling. Um, can you unpack this statement for us? He went to divinity school, graduated, um, and uh, um, chose not to. What, typically after you go to divinity school, one would seek some type of professional clergy position. 
mm-hmm. pulpit, um, a congregation. Um, Naismith uh, ha- always had this kind of uh, feeling that there was more for him in a better way for him to reach and teach uh, the, 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 his service of God as he understood it and his, and, and doing good. And, and he always believed that um, the physical was inseparable from the, from the mind and, and spirit. Uh, so, Life led him where it led him, and the gift he gave to the world, I believe, is a is is a manifestation of his spiritual aspirations. Absolutely, that's my theory. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm on board with that. Thank you, David. Um, finally, and listeners, there is so much more of this book to talk about. Longtime listeners know. I'm a huge basketball nerd, and uh, if you're a fan of the game and you are listening to this podcast now, you need to buy this book straight away. Uh, just trust me on that. But finally, David, um, I want to ask about Draymond Green. Uh, Dre is one of these players that no one is indifferent towards, I think. You either love him or hate him. Um, what lessons, David, can we learn from Draymond Green, and how can we use these lessons to save the world? Raymond Green um, doesn't have flashy statistics, mm-hmm. um, he, he, and they're not often even consistent. You know, he, he, sometimes he'll have no rebounds. Sometimes he'll have twenty rebounds. Um, Draymond Green uh, plays the whole game of basketball, meaning he does a thousand little things on the court um, in order to serve uh, his collective his team um and steph curry clay thompson once upon a time kevin durant um well they have statistics you can see and they have superstardom that that's very exciting to watch but none of these guys get a championship without draymond and draymond gets no championship without them and this comes from this principle in the book called balance of individual collective naismith created the game at a time of great imbalance um, it was the gilded age, um, unprecedented wealth inequality, um, among other unfairnesses, societal, you know, imbalances, um, much like today. And what basketball, I think, was an expression of for him, consciously or unconsciously, was a game that said everybody matters. There's no special positional a recognition in basketball. It's positionless. Um, there's no goalie. Uh, there's no pitcher and catcher. There's no, hey, you can you're, you can only pass the ball. Everybody gets to do everything. And so when you are in a basketballistic society, you appreciate the Draymond Greens equally to the Steph Currys if you're going to, in basketball, get the ultimate goal of, of that championship I think it's the same thing in society. We've got to start identifying balance as a priority. We've got to start appreciating everyone in the chain. Um, and when you do that, when you appreciate what Draymond Green does, or and there are other examples, he's just one that I use in the book, you begin to imbue a society top to bottom with dignity because everybody matters. 
not yeah. just the tech billionaire, not just the greatest influencer, everybody in the chain. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, David. And thank you for writing this wonderful book that I have already sold to all of my hoops nerd friends. And I look forward to putting it into the hands of many more listeners. I've been speaking with David Hollander, author of How Basketball Can Save the World, which is published by our friends at Harmony. David, thank you very much for joining me. Jason, thank you so much. Pleasure and honor to be on this independent broadcast. Once again, I would like to thank David Hollander for joining me. Copies of How Basketball Can Save the World can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.